Good morning. It's good to see you guys here. No, no one had to shovel any snow today, which is nice. Well, as the ushers are coming to take the offering, a little family business here I just want to point your attention to. I hope you grabbed one of the What's Happenings uh, at any of the doors as you came in. There's a lot of different opportunities and things in here that we obviously are wanting to make you aware of. That's why we printed them. But we also, I want to point your attention to one of them specifically, and it's for those of you who are married. And coming up in May, May 5th, and we're telling you now because we want you to be able to get it on, our, on your calendar, we are hosting a marriage event, a date night, uh, a guy named Mark Gunger, who I think brings together a really a great demonstration of kind of humor and also some insightful uh, truth about the nature of husbands and wives and marriage and the challenges in it. And it's really designed as a way to invest in your marriage. So if you are married, uh, one of the best things you can do to honor God, I really believe this, is to invest in your marriage. Amen? Husbands, give me some amens. One of the best things you can do to honor God is to invest in your marriage. And so we wanna give you an assist in that. We wanna help you in that. And so men's ministry and women's ministry here at the church have come together uh, to host this event. And so you are invited. It's $40 per couple. Uh, and it's a, a one night deal, a date night. There will be, it, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a blast. My wife and I are really looking forward to it and being here. We hope that you will join us in it. Uh, we did want you to know, too, if you are involved in women's Bible study or you're planning on going to the men's retreat, both great things to do. Highly encourage you to do that. There, then you have a discount to this event. So there's just another little incentive for you. And I just want to make sure that you are aware of it because there's a lot going on. I wanted to highlight it because we're really excited about that coming up in May. Two other things I want to make you aware of. One is just a reminder that if you are a member here at West Shore, uh, we, have our, we have two congregational meetings a year where we vote on some important stuff, bring in new members, and tonight is one of those meetings. So we'd encourage you to be here tonight, 6 p.m. We try and keep it 6 to 7. Uh, but of course, you know, if you have questions, that sort of thing, you, you in some sense determine the length. Uh, but we invite you to be here as we uh, have our congregational meeting. So please plan on that. Uh, and then the last one I just wanted to mention is obviously the last two weeks we've had some tough weather. And that always takes an effect on our budget as a church. And obviously we rely on that budget to do the ministry we believe God has called us to. So I just wanted to take the opportunity in, in light of the weather stuff that we've had uh, to encourage you to think about really setting up a recurring gift at the church. Again, if this is your church home, if this is where God has called you to give to the local church, to his mission, to the stuff that he's doing, I just wanna encourage you to really think about and consider uh, setting up a recurring gift. That helps us as a church just have that sort of reliable stream of income as we're thinking about the things God is calling us to and planning that. And uh, so I just wanna invite you to be thinking about that. Fair enough? Awesome. Hey, you can ask. Good enough. All right, let me pray for us and then we are gonna dive into God's word and we're gonna start in Acts chapter five, but we're gonna be in a, a couple different places in the text today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. What a gift it is. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that when we hear that this word is God breathed, that it means that you moved people to write down these words. And so they are authoritative. They're your words and so we thank you for them. We thank you for the privilege of coming together as a family in the name of Jesus to adore the Father, to adore the Son, to be led by you, Spirit, and yes, to adore you. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see today what is true, that you'd encourage our hearts. I pray specifically, Holy Spirit, that you'd lead me in the work of teaching now as the one who uh, will have that job this morning among the church family. Would you fill me with appropriate humility and authority underneath your word. 
And may you teach us and instruct us, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you indwell your people and that you teach your people, you reveal the truth to your people, that you lead them. And so we want what you have for us today. We come to receive it from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 to start, so you can turn your Bibles there if you have your Bibles with you. And if not, don't worry, it'll be on the screens. Um, Let me tell you, we're beginning a new series today, a a six-week, which as a result of first service, they voted, and we were supposed to talk about the saving work of the Holy Spirit and the keeping work of the Holy Spirit, and they voted, and they said, no, just do the saving work of the Holy Spirit. So we're cutting the second half if you got your sermon notes. That's on first service. It's totally on them. That's not what happened. I went over. That's what happened. Uh, so we are going to, if you did grab your sermon notes, we're going to talk about the keeping work of the Holy Spirit next week. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk now for the next six or seven weeks about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you kind of our agenda here. I have found, I I've grew up in church, and so because I grew up in church, whenever, you know, preacher guy gets up here and says, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, what I have found is he usually has an agenda. Right? And that is agenda is, I'm going to convince you the Holy Spirit does this thing or doesn't do this thing. And can I just tell you, we don't have that agenda here over the next several weeks. So somebody said amen. All right, good. We do have an agenda, but the agenda is, is this. It's really a simple agenda. Is we want to know God as he is. We want to know him as he is. And throughout all church history, the church has believed that God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks just thinking about and looking at the Scriptures and what they have to say about the work of the Holy Spirit. His revealing work, His leading work, His saving work, His keeping work. And yes, the Scriptures testify that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that. What, is, what does that mean? What does it look like to grieve the Holy Spirit? And hopefully, how do we not do that? Yes. How do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? So we're going to look at those, but I, I just want to say up front, um, I grew up in this weird mixed bag kind of environment of all these different teachings and ideas about this. So this is like God, the Holy Spirit for me was, was someone I had to go to the scriptures and say, who are you? I, I want to know who you are, not what somebody's told me you are or what you do. I, I want to know what you have written in your scriptures and what they say about you and about the son and about the father. And so we're going to look at that. And so that, I mean, our main agenda is just that we want to enjoy all that God is. We want to know him and enjoy him. So my aim as your pastor is to help you reflect on that over the next several weeks, to uh, become more familiar with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. When I say familiar, I don't mean intellectually familiar. You know that, right? I mean familiar in a knowing, relational way. In addition, let me give you kind of a missional purpose to this. One of the things you'll find as you read the scriptures, if you were like kind of begin at the beginning and just read through, one of the things you'll find is that you see God the Father at work throughout them. You see God the Son the work throughout them. You see God the Holy Spirit at work throughout them. But after Jesus came, lived life, died on the cross and rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, he promised to send his Holy Spirit. And one of the things you'll notice as you read through the scriptures in the, into the New Testament is that the vast majority of work that God talks about doing after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is done by the Holy Spirit. So you'll find that it's the Holy Spirit that is alluded to, talked about more often than not. Now, so in this age in which we live, it's not as if God the Son doesn't work. It's not as if God the Father doesn't work. They do. 
But more often than not, in the scriptures, in the era in which we live, we are told that it is the Holy Spirit that is doing the work of the Father and doing the work of the Son. He's the one directly being talked about as doing that work. And because that's the case, uh, sort of missionally, if he's the one who is carrying forward the mission of God in the world, then it would make sense that in order to be part of that mission, we're going to need to know the Holy Spirit well. Is that a fair statement? We're gonna to need to know and relate to the Holy Spirit on his terms, not ours, according to his revelation, not ours, but we're gonna to need to know him well. And one of the things I think is often missing in the church is that we do not have a familiarity with the Holy Spirit to the degree that we really understand what he is doing in the world. And so we wanna spend some time examining that, the work that the scriptures reveal to us that the Holy Spirit does. Fair enough? All right, so that's our agenda. So like I said, we're gonna talk mostly about the work of the Holy Spirit because that's most, that's a lot of what in particular the New Testament gives us. But before we do that, we really do have to start with a few things about the nature of the Holy Spirit, but who he is. Now that could be a sermon series unto itself. I could, I could spend you know, every week talking about a different aspect of the nature of the Holy Spirit, but I just wanna give you a couple that I think are important for us to grasp, and I'll try and tell you why they're important. I wanna give you three, and then we'll talk about the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in saving us. The role of the Holy Spirit in saving us. Now remember that when I say the Holy Spirit saves us, the Holy Spirit keeps us, the Holy Spirit reveals to us, all these things that we'll look at over the next several weeks, what we don't mean to say is the Holy Spirit exclusively does this thing. We don't mean that the Father does not participate in that or that the Son does not participate in it. What we mean is we want to look at how the Holy Spirit specifically is a part of that work. Is that, does that make sense? All right, cool. So that's what we wanna do. So let's look at a couple things about the nature of the Holy Spirit. The first one, and again, for some of you this may be like, yeah, heard it, I'm familiar with it. Some of you, it may be the first time you've ever heard it. So wherever you are on that spectrum, maybe for some it's review, but for some it's, it's kind of a first time introduction to you know, what theologians would call a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, all right? So the first thing is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I already alluded to the fact that throughout church history, the church has always taught that God exists as one God in three persons. The great mystery that we refer to as the Trinity, that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here's in particular what I want you to understand. When I say the Holy Spirit is God, when we say the Holy Spirit is God, we mean that the Holy Spirit possesses the whole being of God. And that's an important idea because many people think about God in his triune form, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in this way. I'll show you an illustration. They think of it as if God is one sort of pie divided into three parts. And so part of God is the Father and part of God is the Son and part of God is the Holy Spirit. But that's not true. That, that visual is not true. Everybody say, not true. All right. When we say that God is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, we don't mean he's one being divided into three parts. The Holy Spirit is fully God. So that when we think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit possesses the whole being of God and yet is one with the Father and Son. The Father possesses the whole being of God and yet is one with the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son possesses the whole being of God and yet is one with the, with the I was on the Son, with the Father and the Spirit. I gotta keep track, right? You, you, do you follow me? I mean, this is like easy stuff to get, right? No, it's not. It's, it's complex, right? But the thing I want you to understand is each member of the Trinity possesses all the attributes of every other member. There is nothing that the Holy Spirit is that God the Father is not. And the Son is what the Father is, and the Spirit is what the Son is. It's complex, I know, but here's the reality. 
because I want you to understand it. The Holy Spirit is not one part of God. He is God and possesses the whole being of God. And as such, here's where the rubber meets the road, he is to be worshiped as God. The Father is to be worshiped as God, the Son is to be worshiped as God, and the Spirit is to be worshiped as God. He is not one to hold at bay. He is not one of whom we should be afraid. He is not one because we wonder, do you do this or do you do not do that? We, I think, have a degree of comfort with the Father and the Son. I'll tell you, when you read the descriptions of the Father throughout the Scriptures, I'm not sure we should be as comfortable as we think we are with the Father, But we have a discomfort with the Spirit, I think, often. But let's start right there. The Holy Spirit is God and he is to be worshiped as God. Is that a fair statement? All right, so then the second thing we want to see about the nature of the Holy Spirit is not just that he's God, but the Holy Spirit is a personal being, not an impersonal force or the power of God. Throughout history, some theologians and some people have made the mistake of teaching that the Holy Spirit is simply a way of God referring to the power that he exudes in order to do something. Almost as if it's like a bad comic book movie, right? Where you see the superhero who has the power that he can shoot from his fingertips. And so some have thought and taught that whenever the Spirit of God is referred to in the Scriptures, it's simply the power of God coming forth from the Father in order to do something that he wants to do. And make no mistake about it, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the power of God, but he is not an impersonal force. He is a personal being, fully God, one of the members of the Trinity. And here's where the rubber meets the road on this. Therefore, he is to be related to personally. He is to be known, spoken to, and listened to. He is to be related to. Do you follow that? Far from believing that the Spirit or that God in general sits up on high and has no interest in what we do, the thing that we see again and again testified to in Scripture is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all personal beings. Three in one, personal, relational, in their nature. Now, that should blow you away because the God who is infinite, the God who has all power, is one who says, I am also personal. I am transcendent and I am imminent. I sit above it all and I condescend and enter into my creation in the form of the second person of the Trinity, the Son. And then the Spirit resides within the creation, leads us, guides us, talks to us. The reason that's important It's because Jesus has said he would send the Spirit and the Spirit would dwell in all those who know him. And this is not an impersonal force dwelling in you that is there to be tapped as if he's a power source. He is a personal being to be related to. You with me? Deeply important. He is God to be worshiped. He is a personal being to be related to. The last one I want you to see, and again, we could could say so much here. The last one I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit is eternally subordinate in role to the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is eternally subordinate. You know what subordinate means, right? Comes underneath the Father and the Son in his role in the Trinity. Now, if you want to impress some people at a party or send them running, screaming the other direction, you can use fancy terms, right? You can use fancy terms and you can say that the... That the beings of the Trinity have ontological unity but economic subordination. Get excited. All that means is this, right? In their being, 
they are identical. They are one. But in their role, they are different. They have different roles. So we're going to talk about salvation today and the role the Holy Spirit plays in salvation. Think about that. In salvation, the Father has planned our redemption from eternity past. He planned it. He decided that it would be. We hear in the Scriptures that the Son then purchased it. He accomplished it. He came into the world. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that we could have life if we trust in him. He accomplished our salvation. And the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit now applies salvation to us. He lives it out into the world. He takes it forward. Do you see the different roles of the different members of the Trinity? They play these different parts. And these are not parts that they took up at some point in time. They have always related to one another in just the way they relate to one another now. The Father and the Son send the Spirit, and the Spirit obeys the Father and the Son. The Son obeys the Father and says, not my will, but your will. I will do what you have commanded. Equal in being, but unique and, and subordinate in role. Again, are you following me? Now this is, again, here's a tremendously important thing. In the New Testament, we find this reality that the scriptures talk, when they talk about marriage, they say, husbands, you're to be the head of your wife and wives, you're to submit to your husbands. And to be quite honest, we don't like that idea that much often, do we? And, and let's be frank, it's a really stupid idea if you think it's based on the idea that men are superior to women. It's a really stupid idea. But if you understand that God has designed that to reflect his very nature, in himself, he has complete unity of being and the, the value of every member of the Godhead is one less valuable than the other, is one less God than the other, is one less supreme than the other. No, but they play different roles and they always have and they always will. And so he designed marriage to reflect that reality. And it's not just there. We see it throughout different aspects of creation. That's just the most obvious place. Right? So that command, all of a sudden, when we read the New Testament, we go, oh, that's not just the result of a patriarchal society or a chauvinistic society. That's actually something God declared and designed from the very beginning in marriage because he wanted to reflect his own nature as a triune God with unity of being but distinctness of role. All right, church, you still with me? Awesome. You guys are hanging in there. Well done. Good job. All right. So let's talk about then, those, those are three things I wanted you to kind of grasp about the nature of the Holy Spirit. And again, we've already said, if there's distinctness in role, like we just said, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one accomplishing, uh, sorry, not accomplishing, that's the Son. He's the one applying redemption into the world. Then for missional purposes, to be about the mission of God in the world, we need to know the Holy Spirit well. So let's talk about the first work that's, that's most important to talk about, I think, when we talk about the Spirit, and that's the saving work of the Spirit. What role does the Spirit play? If you are a Christian, we say we've been saved. We mean we've, what we mean by that, if you're unfamiliar with that language, is we mean we've been saved from sin and death. We've been given eternal life with God. That, that's what we believe. And because we believe that, right, one of the things we can ask ourselves, what role did the Holy Spirit play in that? And I'm going to give you four, four ways the Holy Spirit played a role in that. And like I said, we'll begin in Acts chapter 5 and we'll look at that. The first thing that we see about the role of the Holy Spirit in saving us is that the Holy Spirit saves us by testifying to the truth about Jesus. By testifying to the truth about Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, 
Peter and the other disciples have been arrested. And some of you may be familiar with the story. It's, it's one I love. They get arrested by the religious authorities for talking about Jesus. And they tell them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. They throw him in jail. And they're gonna leave him there overnight. They're gonna bring him out in the morning. They're gonna talk to him, give him another stern talking to, and you know, some kind of discipline, and then probably, maybe, send them on their way. But in the middle of the night, an angel releases them from prison. Are you, you familiar with this? Angel releases them from prison. Guard has no idea. So where do they head? Where would you go if you got put in jail for talking about Jesus? Maybe out to the countryside a little bit? Nope, they head straight to the temple, the middle of the temple. And they start talking about Jesus again and the crowds start to gather. The guards, somebody sends to the guards, hey, go get those guys out of prison and bring them. We're gonna talk to them. They show up, the guards are there posted. The The gates are locked and closed, but they look inside and no one's there. So they're like, well, this isn't good. So then they start looking around for him. They're like, hey, those guys that you arrested, they're back in the temple talking about Jesus again. So now they're a little like weirded out, right? And so it says they don't want to take them by force from the temple because there's so many people gathering to hear this good news that they're afraid they're going to get, the religious authorities are afraid they're going to get stoned if they drag these guys out of there. So they say, hey, why don't you, which is a better idea, right? Why don't you come with us, right? So they come and they give them a turn and they, they say, look, we told you not to talk about Jesus anymore, right? And I mean, this is a huge 180 in just a couple chapters from Acts chapter one where they're hiding and really afraid. I don't know if you remember this. And by Acts chapter five, they're getting miraculously released from prison and going right back into the public sector and going, all right, we're not done. Let's talk some more. So they bring him in and then hear Peter's words because this, this is what I want you to catch, right? So uh, Acts chapter five, verse, we'll start in verse 30. And this is Peter talking. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, that's a great way to make friends, by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. All right, so you see what he's doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's telling these religious leaders again, this is what has taken place. Right, Jesus is God, you crucified him, he rose from the dead. But then look at what he says next. Sorry, I lost my place as I looked up. Uh, there we go, verse 32. And he says, and we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, now, what did he just say? I love it. Because Peter he says, we're, we're witnesses. We saw it take place, but he doesn't just leave it at, yes, I've witnessed this and therefore I'm gonna talk about it. He says, we're witnesses. And who else, church, who else? The Holy Spirit is witness. And then he goes on to even add, whom God gives to all those who obey him, who trust in him, who, give, who have faith in the name of Jesus. So what he's saying is, this beautiful kind of combo platter, if you will, right? Of we're the ones testifying, but do you know who's really testifying? The Spirit of God is testifying. Now think about that for a minute, because here's what that means. This is one of those things you probably read past as you're read, you know, doing your daily Bible reading, and you go, yeah, that makes sense, the Spirit's testifying. But what this means is that every time the name of Jesus is spoken, it's spoken by the Spirit of God. When you take the name of Jesus on your lips to tell someone else about him. It is not just you talking. Church, have confidence. Have boldness. It is the Spirit of God who is testifying through you. 
Why is, would we ever be afraid to name the name of Jesus and declare who he is and what he's done? The, the very spirit of God is testifying about him. He's declaring, when you open up the scriptures and you read them and you read the name of Jesus, it's the spirit of God testifying about who Jesus is and what he's done. When someone tells you about Jesus, that's the spirit of God talking to you about him. When you lay on your bed at night and ponder the work of Jesus and what he's done and consider it, it is the spirit of God who's testifying to you that what you believe about Jesus is the truth and not a falsehood. Now, the, the power of that the power of that, I know that that's easily dismissible for those of you who are not Christians. You just say, well, that's kind of make-believe, right? But I wanna invite you to just at least, right, if, if you wanna be scientific about it for just a moment, okay, I wanna invite you to just consider the possibility that God's spirit, when you hear someone talk about Jesus, is testifying to you that what you are hearing is true. I wanna ask you to consider if you've ever felt a particular weightiness in your own heart, in your own mind, as someone talks about Jesus. That's the Spirit of God testifying to you. If you've ever sensed that or felt it, I know it's not objective. I know I can't measure it, but what I can do is tell you that every single person in here who's a follower of Jesus will tell you that at some point, at some point when they heard the name of Jesus, they recognized that something deeper resonated with them. And what that thing was was the very Spirit of God declaring that Jesus is the truth, not a truth. He is the truth. And we've come to believe it and delight in it. So the confidence, the boldness that can be ours. The other thing, now let, let's trace that a little bit further. First Peter chapter one, verse 11 and 12. And I love this because again, same idea as, as Peter speaking in Acts and now Peter's writing to a group of followers of Jesus. And we'll begin in verse 10, actually. He says, concerning this salvation, salvation in Christ, the prophets, so he's talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah, Old Testament prophets. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, so I don't, let me just trace the thought there for you. I don't know if you caught it or not. What he's saying is to these people who are believers, that the, the message of the gospel of Jesus, his sufferings and his resurrection, it was preached to you. And he says it was preached by the Holy Spirit. So again, there's a person who told them about it and who was really testifying, Peter says? Come on, church. There you go, all right, fantastic. You're like, it's so obvious, we don't need to say it. Got it. It was really the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit that was preached to you. That's what he declares. But he says, not only was the Holy Spirit the one who was actually declaring to you the truth about Jesus when you heard it, those of you who are reading my letter, the Holy Spirit was testifying through the prophets who talked about Jesus and predicted his sufferings. In fact, they were looking to, he says, the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, to give them, the prophets were looking to the spirit of Christ within them to understand what are you indicating about the son and who he will be and what he will do and we will write it down. So in other words, here's what Peter's saying. 
The Spirit has not just been testifying about Jesus after his death and resurrection to cause us to see that this, this is the truth, and this is the way to have life. He's been testifying about Jesus from the beginning of history. That the Spirit has been at work pointing to the Son and saying, here's who he'll be, and here's what he'll do, and here's how he'll live, and here's how he'll die. Way before he ever came into the earth, this is what the Spirit does. It testifies that the Son is the Son. And that if you'll believe, you can have life from all eternity. From the moment time began, the Holy Spirit has been saying to the creation, oh, the Son, you need to know the Son. Let me testify about how good the Son is. Let me tell you who he is. Isn't that a beautiful relationship between the Son and the Spirit? He is testifying about Jesus constantly. Now, my friends, Open your mouth and let him speak through you. Stop closing your mouth. He wants to speak through you. He's gonna do it. Let him do it through you. And please don't take the posture, well, he's gonna do it, therefore he doesn't need to do it through me. Please get the joy of the combo platter that we just saw, okay? Right, most restaurants, I do not recommend the combo platter. Sounds like a problem, probably. But here, the Holy Spirit testifying about Jesus. The first thing we see that the Holy Spirit does to bring about our salvation is he testifies about the truth of Jesus. The second thing, and I love this, is that he invites us, the Holy Spirit invites us to come to Jesus. Now this is important. It might seem to kind of go, it does go hand in hand with the idea that the Holy Spirit testifies about the truth of Jesus. But I think maybe some of us might have thought about it like, you know, someone was having a party and they sent invitations to a lot of people on our block and, and perhaps we didn't get an invitation or if there was one, it really was meant for our neighbor and not for us. That the invitation was like, oops, I guess I better take this over to the neighbors and now your feelings are hurt because they're having a party and they didn't invite you but they invited the neighbor and it showed up in your mailbox, right? But the thing that we see is the Holy Spirit, when he testifies, he invites. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. All the way at the back of your Bible, and this is John who's receiving a revelation of the end of all things, essentially. And at the very end, Jesus is speaking to John. And this is what he says. Jesus says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I don't know if you caught it again, but who is doing the inviting here? The spirit and the who? The bride, who's the bride? Well, that's us, the church. So there's the combo again. The spirit and the bride. What do they say? Come, and even better, right? Because what happens next? And let the one who hears say come. In other words, the one who's invited, invite someone else. Once you've received the invitation, start inviting other people. Start telling them, oh, come, 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 come. And what's the invitation to? Is it to a lame party? Is it to something that's gonna cost us a lot of money? Is it something we're not gonna be able to achieve or to get dressed up nice enough for? No, the invitation is to come and to drink from living water with no cost. It will cost you nothing because Christ has paid everything. And he's the one speaking and he's inviting you. 
and it's the spirit and the bride. So that Jesus is speaking, he says, now, Holy Spirit, now, bride, here's what I want you to say. You say, come, and let those who hear come. Let them come. So the first two things we see that the Spirit does in our salvation is that he testifies about the truth of Jesus, and he invites us. Do you know that you would not have come if you had not been invited to come? You didn't find the party on your own. You didn't crash it without the invitation. Well, I'll just show up. Maybe they'll let me in. You were invited. You were invited by the Spirit of God. You were invited. Let me pause right there. I'm going to talk about two more things the Spirit does, and they're more unseen things. I think the testifying about Jesus and the, um, and the invitation can be, and should be, verbal, right? And so sometimes it's something we sense in our hearts, but, but often it's, just, it's verbally spoken by the church, right? And so... But the thing I want to pause there, look, I know there's, there's many of you who are not followers of Jesus and you're in the right spot. I mean, we're so glad that you're here to process these kinds of questions with us. So please hear that. But I, I want to pause right now. And I'm saying to you that when you hear the name Jesus, that's the Spirit testifying. And then when the Spirit testifies, he invites. And so I just want to pause and ask you if you're sensing the Spirit's invitation. At the end of our time today, uh, we'll sing a song, and then as people are dismissed, I'm not gonna ask you to walk the aisle in front of everybody or anything like that, but there will be some people here just ready to receive you and talk to you. If you have questions, to, to ponder those with you, not to give you a sales pitch. But look, I mean, if we really believe the Spirit's the one who's testifying and the Spirit's the one who's inviting, then we're just, he's just working through us, right? So it doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not gonna convince you with my arguments, in fact, that, that might just be you sort of agreeing that I, you know, perhaps I make a decent argument. Okay, I, I give way. Intellectually, I give way. You make a good argument, right? That never saved anybody. And we're gonna see why here in, in a second. But, but I just wanna pause and I wanna ask you to consider if this, I wanna ask you to consider that the Spirit, not just if, that the Spirit is testifying to you. And I want you to pay attention to your heart. That's what, we could keep going and you could just keep gathering the information that I'm saying, but I really want you to pay attention. Is the spirit, can you just pay attention to the condition of your heart? We don't do that that often, right? I mean, how often do we, I mean, how many times has my wife asked me, how do you feel? I'm like, I don't know, right? Like, because I'm not thinking about it. I'm not, I'm not giving weight to the matters of the heart. I, get, I want you to give weight to that. I want you to consider it. So if you need to ignore the rest of what I say and just ponder that, just stay with that. Last two things that we want to look at. So the Holy Spirit saves us by testifying the truth about Jesus. Holy Spirit invites us to come to Jesus. The next thing is that we see that the Holy Spirit saves us by causing us to be born again. By causing us to be born again. Now this is kind of popular church lingo, but I want to explain what that means. In John chapter 3, if you have your Bible, flip with me to John chapter 3. Jesus has a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And it's an interesting conversation, and you'll see that, man, Jesus just has a way of taking a right turn in some conversations. Have you noticed that? If you read the gospel, sometimes somebody's asking a question, and all of a sudden Jesus is like over here talking about, like, what's the deal? He just has a way of cutting to the heart of the issue. Right? He knows the hearts of people, so when they approach him to talk about something with flattery or some idea of what they think is important, he just has a way of going no, no, we're not going to go down that road. Like, let's talk about what matters. So 
does that with Nicodemus here. In John chapter three, beginning of verse one, it says, now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So that's, you know, flattery, right? It's nice. He says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you see that that's a disjointed response to the statement that was just made? Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of, of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, so when Jesus talks about being born of the spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that in order to truly be saved, salvation is more than mental agreement with a set of facts about me, about Jesus. I don't mean me, right? Jesus talking, me, right? It's more than a, a, a mental agreement with a set of facts. He's saying in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit must come in and do what, what we call in another set of terms, a regenerating work, that you and I have dead souls that he must raise out of death and bring them into life. And this is a mysterious work. We don't fully understand how he does it. The timing of it is often interesting when we think about, well, when does that take place? But the most important thing I want you to understand is that Jesus is cutting to the chase here with Nicodemus, and he's saying, in order for someone to be right with God, they have to have their dead soul made alive, and only the Spirit does that. You have to be born of the Spirit. Now, this is one of those works where at points we see that the Father does things and the Son does them and the Spirit does them and, and maybe they all have a part in it. This is a work that is uniquely the Spirit's. This is a, a unique work of the Spirit to be born again or to have your soul regenerate, right? And without that regeneration, we cannot respond to the gospel. We cannot be alive. And if you can't be alive spiritually, then you can't enter the presence of a living God. And so regeneration or being born again is a necessary component of salvation. Now, I know we're not prone to think about our salvation in component parts, right? We don't, we don't like take it apart. Like if, when you were young and you want to understand how the TV worked and you took it apart or the radio and you want to understand how it worked and you took it apart to, to look at all the component parts. That's a little bit what we're doing here because there are aspects, there are parts of salvation the scriptures talk about. They don't often just talk or they don't always just talk about generally salvation. They talk about at different component parts to that. And one of them is what we call regeneration or being born again. And it, and it must take place. You can't control it. You can't dictate it, but the Spirit must come and do it. And it is uniquely the Spirit's work. Now, think about the power of the Spirit to be able to take what is dead and make it alive. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Again, how much should we adore Him? How much should we want to walk with Him daily? The same Spirit Who's able to, who's able, who raised Jesus from the dead and has raised our souls from the dead if we have placed faith in Christ, that same spirit lives and resides in you and wants to relate to you personally. Wants you to engage in dialogue with him daily. Wants you to follow him. Wants you to learn how to submit to him. 
wants you to learn the nuances of his guidance and leadership and understanding. Wants to convict you of your sin so that you'd stop because you're hurting yourself. Wants to lead you into better pathways. Wants to give you life. Wants you to drink from the well of living water that is Jesus. Wants you to see and be satisfied in him. This is the one. It's the Spirit of God that's doing this. And oh, how we should delight in the Spirit. We delight in the work of the Father. We delight in the work of the Son. And we delight in the work of the Spirit. Last thing that we're gonna look at is not just that the Spirit regenerates. We've seen that he testifies about Jesus, that he invites us to come to Jesus. The Spirit is a part of our salvation in that he regenerates us. He causes us to be born again. The last one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And we see there that the Holy Spirit saves us by justifying us. Now, if being born again is being brought out of death and into life, like spiritual death to spiritual life, if that's what being born again is, then being justified, it's again, it's another one of those terms, but let me just try and make it simple, right? Being justified is being given the righteousness of Jesus so that we can stand before a holy judge and be declared innocent, not because we actually are innocent, but because we've been given a righteousness that is not our own. So when we say that I've been justified, and the scriptures talk about that, you've been justified, you've been glorified, you've been sanctified, you'll see those terms a lot. What it means is you have right legal standing before God. So picture yourself in a courtroom, picture yourself in a courtroom, and God the judge looks at you and hammers the gavel in spite of all the things you know you've done that have been wrong through all of life and he declares you legally righteous, legally forgiven. You are accepted by him. That's what justification is. Does that make sense? Am I making it simple enough, plain enough? Okay, I see some nodding heads, good, and some confused faces, all right. Email me this week, we'll talk more. All right, maybe don't all email me. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. This scripture will help us make it plain, right? Trent, stop talking. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. He's just, he's just told the Corinthians, who if you've read this book, they're kind of the, the wild children of the New Testament, okay? They're a little crazy, and they've been doing a lot. That's not great. And he's just gone through this list. You name it, it's in this list. And he says, you, you guys have been out there. And then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, like you were swindlers, liars, cheaters, thieves. You were these people. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what do you see next? By the Spirit of God. So who in that text is doing the justifying work? The Spirit is doing the justifying. He's taking the name of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. You are justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit of God. So those prepositions are really important, right? In the name of Jesus, it's his righteousness, it's his name, it's his work, right? He plays, very clearly, he plays a role in our justification. But we are justified, that, that righteousness that he possesses and we do not, how does it get to us? How does it fall on me? How do I ever stand before God and actually get declared righteous? How is that on me so that I can actually say it's mine? It, it is mine and it's not going away. It belongs to me. How does that happen? It happens by the spirit of God who takes the righteousness of Christ and he implants it on us. He says, it's yours. Here it is. Are, are you marveling at this yet? 
The Spirit does these unseen things you didn't know were happening, and the Spirit is doing it. But you didn't just say, yes, I believe, and because you agreed to some ideas, you were saved. What was taking place is your soul was being raised out of death and into life, and then the righteousness of Christ was being given to you. These component parts of your salvation, without them, you would not be saved. Without them, you would be hopelessly lost. But God the Spirit has done it. He has done it. He has given you the righteousness of Jesus. That's what we mean when we say justified. The Holy Spirit justifies us. Now next week, we're gonna look. We're gonna look. I, I intended to get to it this week. My wife was smarter than she knew I wasn't gonna get to it. So next week, we're gonna look at how the Holy Spirit keeps us. And this, I mean, I, I hope all week you'll sort of eagerly think about this and even and begin to look at God's word because what we're gonna find is the Spirit doesn't just save us. The Spirit is the one who keeps us in faith. Now you and I might be thinking, yes, I believe and I keep believing because I'm smart enough to keep believing. But what the scriptures testify to is that the reason we stay in the faith, the reason we persevere, and the scriptures say we must persevere to the end in the faith. And the reason all those who have truly been saved and put their faith in Jesus persevere to the end is because the Holy Spirit keeps us. He seals us. He sustains us. He keeps us in Christ. You don't keep yourself. I don't keep myself. I hope you're beginning to see we are hopelessly dependent on the Spirit of God at every turn in every way. So as I said, as I said, you know, as we close here, in fact, our worship team, you guys can come on up and we're gonna sing a song. In fact, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna teach you a new song which we're gonna sing to the Spirit of God and, and delight in. Look, again, our intention here is we don't believe we could manipulate you into believing in Jesus because we believe it's a work of the Spirit. I'm simply asking you to consider in your heart right now what is the Spirit doing and as we close that, we'll, we'll sing all together. And then there, there are just gonna be some folks here to pray with you, talk, answer questions. And we just invite you, and we believe the Spirit of God invites you to come. And so we extend that invitation to you. We wanna be the bride saying, come, just as the Spirit is saying, come. And let me say too, friends, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, but you just got challenging things going on in your life, you are welcome to come too. It doesn't just have to be about that one issue of salvation. If, if there are other things you just know, I need someone to pray over me for something going on in my life, you come as well. You come as well. Those living waters of salvation, they flow out through all of life, including into every area where we're hurting or in need. Uh, and so we seek the Lord to bring that to us together. Let me pray, and then let's sing together. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are you're a great teacher. And so where I have missed the mark today, now come and just fill in those gaps. We thank you for your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us sensitive to your guidance and to what you speak to us. And, and I'll just say specifically now, Holy Spirit, for those who are not yet in Christ and they're considering that, may, they, may you make your invitation so tangible to them that they know that it's not, just, it's not just me up here saying that to them. Only you can do that. We can't, we can't make that happen. And so we pray that you would make it just so tangible that right now in this moment, those who perhaps are even prone to want to resist you would just let their guard down and recognize that you are a good God.
and you are inviting, testifying about the truth of the Son, showing us the way to the Father. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand? Let's sing together.